I am excited for this morning because um, I believe the worship team has been preparing our hearts for what the Lord wants to say this morning because, uh, yo, let me just get some of these songs. I'm not going to sing. But just that last thing, song we sang, through, though Satan should buffet, through trials, though trials should come, trials should come, let the blessed assurance control, then Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his blood for my soul, and it is well with my soul. And then it's, what was the third song again? More like Jesus. Yes, here it is. I just want to read the chorus. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need. Take everything. And that's basically what I'm going to sh share on today. We're going to carry on. We're carrying on with a purpose course, but this is week two, and the title of the preach is, My Purpose is Christ. My Purpose is Christ. And I just, yeah, let me, let me just pray. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will prepare our hearts right now to receive your word. Thank you that you have chosen me to bring this word. And thank you that you have worked in my heart as I have prepared this message, Lord. This, this word is not just for the people sitting in front of me. It's for me as well. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you that your word is alive. It is there to correct us, it's there to encourage us, and I pray, Lord, that we will find that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we were praying this morning, I just, I just had this picture of a heart surgeon busy cutting, doing open heart surgery. And if you know anything about a heart surgeon, their hands have to be absolutely steady, because any little mistake, and you're dead. <laughs> So they, they actually have to pass a test where they check the steadiness of their hands. And I just saw that the, I saw this hand and it was actually the hand of Jesus. And his, his hand was absolutely, perfectly still. And he's busy working on this heart. And I really feel like the, the Lord has been working on our hearts this morning and he wants to work on it some more. But you can trust him because his hand is perfectly still. He won't make a mistake. We are in his hands. Amen. So my purpose is Christ. Jesus said these words, come follow me. Come follow me. The first and the most important answer to the question, what is my purpose, is this. My purpose is Christ. Jesus calls us to himself. Just like he called the disciples, come follow me, he's saying that to us every single day. Come, follow me. Come to me. Our purpose is to draw closer and closer to Him. And in the next few, few weeks, we are going to discover the different things that Jesus is calling us to. But before He purposes us to do something or go somewhere, He calls us to someone, which is Himself. Today we're going to look at um, Philippians 3, verse 3 to 10, and I'm, we're going to break it down. Break it down. We're going to take it, not verse by verse, but a few verses at a time. And um, it's an amazing passage of Scripture that Paul actually wrote. 
And it highlights so nicely what, that Jesus is our purpose. So we're going to look at that. But first I want to look at Philippians 1. Well, not look at I just want to read Philippians 1 verse 21. Paul says this, For to me to live is Christ. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's on my WhatsApp, what do you call it? Not the status, description all the time. I'm getting there. So our first purpose is Jesus Christ. Seeking Him, knowing Him, drawing closer to Him. Okay, so we're going to look at this Philippians 3, verse 3 to 10, and then I'm going to give three ways we can draw closer to Jesus. The first one, realize Christ alone fulfills. Realize Christ alone fulfills. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. I think when he wrote this, he didn't, Elon Musk wasn't around. I think Elon Musk will disagree with this, as there are many ways that a car can run. But uh, let's just bear with him. And he continues, Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering him about knowing him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's just not there. What petrol are we putting in our tanks? What are we fueling? our souls with. Paul gives us the answer as he reflects on his own life before he meets Jesus. So we're going to start with verse 3 and 4. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have Reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's quite a bold statement. But Paul starts to look back on his own life before he knew Jesus. And he's about to start listing his credentials, his achievements, his, uh, his trophies. The things that are most important to him, the things he put into his tank before he knew Jesus. So let's read verse 5 and 6. Here are the things. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Sure, that's an even bolder statement. According to the law of Moses, he was faultless. Now, we can't really relate to these credentials because... We're living in the 21st century, and Paul is talking about his life as a first century Jewish man. But what we can know from and learn from this is that according to the Jewish standards, according to the law of Moses, Paul was the man. As Nacho Libre would say, he was the best. <laughs> if you haven't seen Nacho Libre, I do recommend it. 
It's a very religious movie. The first thing he mentioned is his remarkable upbringing. Upbringing. I struggle with that word. His childhood, or his, from when he was born. His parents circumcised him on the eighth day of his life here on earth. Perfectly, exactly according to the Jewish law. And we do the same thing, don't we? I'm not talking about circumcision. But we do find our worth in our ancestry. We do find our worth in our culture, in our race, in our upbringing. There we go. And we find our worth in our family name. Okay. The second thing Paul mentions is that he was born in Israel. He was proud to say he was an Israelite. Nowadays, there seems to be a hierarchy of uh, countries as well. Uh, we seem to judge countries according to the GDP. Who knows what GDP is? <laughs> it's basically the worth of a country. Not just the money, import, export, raw materials, the, the, the net worth of a country. And even though South Africans are very patriotic, and it doesn't matter how bad it goes in South Africa, we are all like saying, we're still proudly South African. We love our country. Even though we do that, there's some strange desire to be American, to be European, to be Australian. I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay, not Australian for Gavin. But there's this desire to be part of a country that has more value. Anyway, moving along. The th third thing Paul speaks about is his tribe, the tribe of Benjamin. Nowadays, we value our tribes as well. Whether it's a sports tribe, a money tribe, intellectual tribe, I don't qualify for that one. Arts tribe, yes. A geek tribe, yes. Nerds tribe, hobbies tribe, whatever it is. We do our utmost best to be, become a part of this tribe. And then we work even harder to stay in that tribe. The fourth thing Paul speaks about is his language, Hebrew. In those days, the common language that they spoke was Greek. But he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I spoke Hebrew. He was proud of his language. And nowadays, we, language has become this thing that defines us. And sometimes we value languages, some value languages above others. And we actually look down on people that speak certain languages. Just think about Charlize Theron. <laughs> Apparently there's only 44 people that still speak Afrikaans. Anyway, the fifth thing that Paul mentions is denomination. He was a Pharisee. And nowadays we have many denominations in Christianity. And some people treasure this denomination above everything else whether it's Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Catholic, Anglican, Pentecostal, or, hear me clearly, city-based churchism. <laughs> the sixth thing Paul talks about is natural strengths and abilities. Paul speaks about his natural zeal. He was a real go-getter. He was an actions-speak-louder-than-words type of guy. Some of us today are naturally extroverted. Some of us are confident. Some of us are clever. Some of us are quick-witted. Some of us are strong. Some of us are fast. Some of us are just natural, naturally good-looking. 
In verse 7, Paul called these things gains. The gains that he had, it was his strength because he was the best. These gains gave him worth, they gave him value. Amen. Now imagine Paul was alive today, living in our society today. What would those gains look like? What did those credentials look like? Maybe it was romantic love. People look at Paul and like, oh, here's a catch. Wow. Or money. All the money in the world. Garage full of the fastest cars. Hey, Singe. <laughs> what about security? Investments all over the world. A Swiss bank account. He's got it. He's made it. Success. Successful career. career. Healthy social media following. Millions of views on YouTube and TikTok. Successful. What about family? Great husband. Really good father. Great brother. Everyone in the family looks up to him. What about looks? Paul is so ripped. Men want to be him and women want to be with him. What about power? People respect him. They, they, when he walks into the room, he, they're like, yo, that's Paul. Hey, ever been in the room with people like that? They just carry authority. What about comfort? Living the life, lacking nothing, enjoying everything. See, none of these things are bad in themselves. And society actually teaches us that when we have these things, we're living our best life. That these are gains. And they are gains. But something happened to Paul that changed his views about these gains. He had all these gains, all these credentials, but something changed. The value of these things became nothing. And we read this in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. See, everything that society values and everything that Paul had valued um, became meaningless. Something happened. They weren't really gains at all. And just like Paul, some of us have come to this point. We've come to the realization that these worldly things are actually quite meaningless. They don't have the ability to satisfy us. They overpromise and underdeliver, like most politicians. Just kidding. Um, we have more. <laughs> Okay, so let's take fame for example. Most teenagers and young adults, 20-somethings, want to be famous, right? No? Okay, we have a good crowd of youngsters here. But there are many people that are famous, that have reached the top. And they'll actually say that at the top, it's a very lonely place. Being famous is overrated. They love the money. They love the things that money can buy, but the fame itself, they don't like it. Why? Because they're always being watched. They're constantly being judged. They permanently have to try and live up to these high expectations of the fans. It is not a nice place to be. What about romantic love? So many people are seeking love in all the wrong places, wherever they can find it. They're so desperate to be loved that they'll do whatever it takes to get it. 
They'll change them, things about themselves. They'll do things they normally won't do. Just to get the attention of someone they think they need. Especially when physical attraction is involved. Some will physically change. Some will morally change. Some will emotionally change. Some will even spiritually change. I know of a few people that have actually changed their religion because of so-called love. And it's sad to see them go from a path of following Christ to going way off. All in the name of love. All in the name of finding someone that completes them. Now let me just tell you, from personal experience, no person can complete us. We are all broken people. The only person that can complete us is Jesus Christ. And when two people that are complete in Christ get together, that is a beautiful picture. That is how God intended it. But if we're looking for someone to complete us, it's just two broken people breaking each other more. We need Christ. Christ first. Let's talk about money. So many people live their lives just making money. More and more. How much money is enough? It's never enough. Always want more. I think about myself when I first was at Appy. Made 850 rand a month. <laughs> and I wanted more. And then I got more. Second year Appy got more. Third year Appy I got more. Then I got a proper real job, got more. Was it ever enough? No. <laughs> it's never enough. And people will study for years and years and years to get the ideal job. And then they in the, find the ideal job and they work their butts off in this job. Why? To make more money to buy more stuff. This vicious cycle. And they buy this stuff because they want to enjoy their lives. But the sad thing is they're working so much and they're so tired they never get to enjoy the stuff anyway. No rich person lying on their deathbeds has ever said, I wish I'd spent less time with my family and friends and made more money. No rich person. What about approval? This is something we struggle with, we all struggle with at some point in our lives. We see a, see a group of people and we're just, oh, I want to be part of that group. And we do whatever it takes to try and be part of the group and sometimes we don't get in and it hurts. Every time we think about it, it hurts. But sometimes we do get in. But the problem is once we're in, the hard work starts because we have to work so hard to try and stay in that group. And we all know what eventually happens. Our ratings go down. We start to lose followers. People stop pressing our like button. Why? Because someone with more drip comes online. If you, if you don't know what that means, speak, speak to the young guys. But basically, someone cooler, someone younger, someone more enthusiastic comes along to take your place. Paul realized that the world and the society were being fooled, duped, tricked, bamboozled, just like that word. He realized that the gains that he was talking about, the gains that he had, they were not ultimate. The good thing, they were good things, but they were not God. They don't last forever. They can't fill the God hole that we have in our hearts. Only God can fill that hole. 
So let's do a little exercise this morning. Let's think about all the earthly things, the people in your lives, the family, friends, the activities and the goals that you are living for. Just make a list in your head. You can write them down later because we don't have time for that. We're all making some. You can see we're all in deep in thought, thinking of stuff. Now look at those things and say to them, look them straight in the eye and say this, you are not forever. You can't fulfill me. You're good, but you're not ultimate. You can't be my God. It's quite liberating when we do this, because those things are not forever. What does fulfill us then? And let's read verse 7 and 8. But whatever, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider them everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may, may gain Christ. See, the thing that happened to Paul is he broke his heart's fixations on these gains. Because our heart can grab hold of these things. I know when I'm obsessed by something, that's all I think about, that's all I search on Google, that's all I shop for, because my heart is fixed on this thing. But Paul broke these fixations. And like Edina Menzel, aka Elsa, saying so well, let it go. He let it go. See, he opened his hands and released these things. We can't grab hold of Jesus if our hands are closed holding these things. We need to let go of these things so that we can grab hold of Jesus. We can't have both. There's a fullness found in Jesus alone. Until we find Jesus, we will never find what we are looking for. Jesus alone can satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. Not just for a day, not just for a week, not just for a month, but forever. Because Jesus is forever. Okay, that's point number one. Point number two. Cast your deadly doing down. Cast your deadly doing down. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> well, James Proctor, uh, my homie James Proctor, back in 1864, <laughs> he wrote... Uh, a hymn called It Is Finished. And the one verse says, Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. See, Paul tried to achieve righteousness with God, with all these credentials, all these gains. He studied the law of Moses back to front. He knew it back to front. He didn't just study the law of Moses, he lived it. Because somehow he thought that knowing the law of Moses and living the law of Moses would make him right with God, would bring his own righteousness. But let's read verse 9. Okay, let me just read the end of verse 8. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Do you know what the difference is between religion and gospel? The gospel. Religion is obey, obey, obey. 
obey. And then obey some more. And then obey. And then maybe, maybe, maybe God will accept you. Gospel, on the other hand, teaches us trust in the finished work of Jesus. Accept his salvation. The free gift of salvation. It's free. Just take it. Be accepted by God. Not because of anything we've done. Not the gains. Not the, the attributes. But because of what Jesus did. And then obey. Jesus first. And then comes the works. See, when we, come, when we can become Christians, we do turn away from certain things. Sins, bad habits. But what we struggle to turn away from is our own righteousness. It's something we have to work through for a long time. We somehow believe that our good deeds will make us right with God. And that will somehow put God in our debt. It's like Steve was sharing this morning, this tit-for-tat relationship. Lord, I've done this, so now you owe me. That's a bad place to be. Or we do something wrong, we're like, oh, now God's going to punish me. And it needs to be a punishment that's same level of what I've done wrong. That's not the relationship that we're called to. We, accepted, we, we have been accepted based on what Jesus has done, not what we have done. And I want to look at the story of uh, Martha and Mary in Luke 10, verse 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he, had, what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. The thing about the story is Martha is working towards her completion with works. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, learning how to work from a place of completion found only at Jesus' feet. What would the Martha of today look like? Let's have a look. Wakes up, checks her phone, checks her Insta, checks her Pinterest, realizes uh, her life is quite incomplete, goes for a morning run, because, you know, has to get into shape because of what she saw on TikTok. Starts to think of stress about work. Gets home, gets ready for work, gets everyone, the family's lunches ready, and rushes to work. While she's rushing to work, she's worried about what's going to happen today, all the things she needs to do. While at work, she's trying to get everything done. She starts stressing about what's for supper. What am I going to get at the shops? Why are the kids sick again? Why is the school phone me again? What about the kids' homework? And it just carries on on. Work, work, work. Stress, stress, stress. She checks her phone again. Realizes she's not living the Insta life. 
By the time she goes to bed, just fast forwarding to where she goes to bed, much later than she intends to go to bed, she breathes a sigh of relief because she got most of the things done that were on her list. But she doesn't really sleep well because her mind is still racing. Her mind is always racing. Next morning, she's back on the treadmill, doing the same thing over and over again. Does that sound familiar? Mary, on the other hand, is discovering something new, something different. Martha is pursuing a life of works. She's trying to live a life where things get done. Martha is comparing herself to others. She's critical of others, and she's quite miserable. She even goes to Jesus himself and complains about Mary. Now, I'm not saying that we can't exercise and we can't organize our lives. These are good things, okay? Can't just live our lives like a surfer and just chill, man. Chill, dude. It's good. We can get ideas from Insta and Pinterest. But what we can learn from Mary is that our, do- our day needs to start at Jesus' feet, finding our completion in Him, and then we can do the things He's asking us to do. It's a completely different way of doing life, starting with Jesus. The interesting thing about Mary, I just want to look at John 11, verse 1 to 2. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Same, same Mary. And this was Jesus' response when she did that in Mark 14, verse 69. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize, all, criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. And you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. See, I believe something happened to Mary when she was sitting at Jesus' feet that day. She met with Jesus, her Savior, and her life was never the same again. And somehow, while she was listening to Jesus speak, she discerned in his words that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die for the sins of the world. And she believed in her heart that she needed to do this, that she needed to anoint Jesus for his burial. And this one thing she did is remembered forever across the world. Wherever the gospel is preached, what she did will be remembered. She did this one thing. And we are just like Martha, aren't we? We're so busy with life, everyday things, running errands and keeping up with the social trends that we miss out on hearing the one thing we're meant to be doing. How often do we go through a day and we think to ourselves, okay, what, like, was there anything special that happened today? Did the Lord actually use me today? Or did I just do the stuff I do every day? What a difference it would make if we start every day at Jesus' feet, celebrating the fact that we are saved and that we are made righteous and complete in 
in his, in his presence. And then starting the day from that completion. Os Guinness, in his book, The Call, says this, The greatest competitor of, competitor of devotion to Jesus is service for him. We are to be satisfied in God before we do something for him. Do we put our emphasis on service, usefulness, or being productive in working for God at his expense? Do we strive to prove our significance, to make a difference in the world, to carve our names in the marble on, mo on the monuments of time? The call of God blocks the path of all such deeply human tendencies. We are not primarily called to do something or go somewhere. We are called to someone. We are not called to special work, but to God. Okay, that's point number two. Point number three, decide to get closer to Jesus. Decide to get closer to Jesus. Here's the thing. We will never be as close to Jesus as we want to be. Jesus really wants to be close to us all the time, but we don't always want to be close to him. And there are many practical ways to get closer to Jesus, and we'll run through them quickly at the end. But if our hearts are not in it, it will never happen. Something needs to change in our hearts. We need to be like Paul and cut those desires of those gains. And our desire for Jesus needs to trump those things. Amen? We have to make, get to the point where we make the decision, I want Jesus. And I want to draw closer to him. And Paul said the same thing in verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. See, Paul here wants to be with Jesus. He wants to spend time with Jesus. He wants to be close to him. He wants to experience the Holy Spirit's resurrection power. And when he's suffering for Christ, when he's going through tough times, he wants to experience the hope and the peace of Jesus' closeness. When Jesus is close, the hard times seem a lot easier. And he wants it for us too. And we read this in Ephesians 1 verse 18 to 20. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called. His holy people are rich and glorious. He's rich in glorious inheritance. I pray also that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. If we really want to draw closer to Jesus this year, we will do whatever it takes to, do it, to get there. But it has to start in our hearts. We must want to draw close to him. Okay, so let's look at some practical ways. And I'm just going to run through them quickly and then we're going to end. Number one, prioritize weekly gatherings with other believers. Now I'm preaching to the choir here. You guys are all here. I'm talking about Sunday mornings where we worship together, encourage each other, pray with each other, um, listen to the word. It's a great word, by the way. Um, <laughs> and Sundays are not actually the last day of the week. It's actually the first day of the week. And how awesome it is, by deciding to be here, we are deciding to start our week in the presence of God. We're deciding to start our week worshiping Him. We're deciding to start our week with fellow brothers and sisters, like-minded, kingdom-advancing 
people of God. And we, start, we decide to start our week under the word of God. Okay. Number two, sing to Jesus whenever we can. So it's cool to, to listen to music. Music is lacquer. Um, but it's even cooler to listen to music that's about Jesus. And what's the best <laughs> is, is actually singing along when we're listening to music about Jesus. Because he loves it when we sing to him. He loves it when we sing about him. He loves it when we worship him. And singing is just one part of worship. But he loves it. He loves it when we're singing to him and with him. Number three, speaking to Jesus, praying. And praying is not the super spiritual, mysterious thing that we do to this high and mighty God whenever we need something or whenever we're in trouble. It's also not the shopping list that we go through that Jesus needs to sort out ASAP. It's actually much simpler than that. It's like phoning a friend and telling them how your day was. You can speak to Jesus the same way. Tell Jesus how your day was. Tell him the highs and lows. Tell him the good things. Tell him the bad things. Ask him for help. Ask him to grow. Just chat with him. The thing about a conversation is it's not one way. We often, when we're talking to our friends, not me, I'm not a man of many words, but you get people that are just that sounds too much like woman. Sorry, I'm not I'm not saying anything by that. Yep, 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 yep. No, but you get those guys that just talk, 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 and there's not a gap for you to say anything. And you're like Yeah. That's how we are sometimes with God. We talk, 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 talk. Amen. Gone. And Jesus is like uh, I wanted to say something. It's about listening to him as well, isn't it? It's about having a conversation with him. That's what praying is. Number four, devouring, consuming God's word. And at the moment, we're doing the purpose course, and we've got the daily devotions, and it's great. But I'm hoping and I'm praying that all of us would continue the habit of spending time with him, reading his word, studying his word, devouring his word, consuming it. Consuming means it becomes part of us, not just glancing over the word, but letting it become part of who we are. Number five, spending time with other believers. Isn't that the same as number one? But it's actually not. I'm talking about one-on-one, smaller groups. And life groups is a good tool for this. Um, Spending time with less people, connecting with new people, encouraging each other challenging each other, growing together, strengthening friendships, and making new friends. It's happening at life groups. If you're not part of a life group, I encourage you to join one, especially while we're doing this purpose course. It's where you become or realize your strengths, your weaknesses, where you can grow, where you realize your personal purpose in God. And number six, drawing closer to Jesus through hardships. Wait, what? <laughs> through hardships? So often we're living our best lives, and along comes hardships, along comes suffering. And we're all like, no, I just can't deal. Lord, why now? Why me? Why this? I just can't deal right now. 
But Paul discovered that the hardships gives, brings along a perfect opportunity to draw closer to Jesus. Now I pray that none of us will ever suffer as much as Paul. He suffered a lot. But we all know that suffering is coming. We all know that hardships and pain are real. And they're coming again. It's just part of life. But our response to them can either push us away from God, from Jesus, or help us draw closer to Him. And I love the story of Corey Ten Boom. I'm just going to quickly go through what she went through. And she actually wrote a book about this. But she was born in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And she grew up in a very strong Christian family. Her dad was a watchmaker. And uh, she loved it so much that she actually became the first woman watchmaker in the Netherlands at the time. And everything was going well. They had their own little watchmaker shop. And then the Nazi invasion happened. And Jewish people were take, be, being taken to concentration camps all over the place. Basically, the Holocaust was happening. So Corey and her family decided that they are going to hide Jewish people in their homes. Make their home a safe house. And things were going well. And they, they went, they say, they, they say, the clever people say that um, in Corey's home and homes around, the safe houses around, more than 800 Jewish lives were saved. And they only actually had space to s for six people in their house. That when the Nazis came, they'd hide them behind a wall, and there was only space for six people to stand up straight. But the Nazis never found them. The problem is that someone snitched, and they got arrested. And her dad was actually taken to jail at the age of 84 years old. And soon after that, he died. I don't know what happened to her mom, but Corey and her older sister Betsy went to one of the worst concentration camps in Germany. Out of 132,000, it, it was a concentration camp just for women. And out of the 132,000 women who were in the camp during the war, 52,200 of them passed away, died. 2,200 of them were sent to the gas chamber. And even though it was a horrible, rat-infested, terrible place to be, Corey and her sister decided to draw closer to Jesus in the concentration camp. And they actually turned their cell into a church. They, they actually smuggled in a Bible so that they could make disciples of the, of the ladies that were with them. Unfortunately, Betsy, her sister, got sicker and sicker and sicker, and she eventually died. Twelve days after her sister died, Corey was released. And she only, f and it was like, she didn't understand why she was being released. It was just her. And only later did she find out that it was actually just a clerical error. She wasn't meant to be released. And all the ladies in her age group were sent to the gas chambers a week later after she was released. God intervened. God had a plan for her. Her release was a miracle. She was alive, but she lost everything. Her family, her home. But that didn't stop her. The more hardship and suffering she went through, the closer she drew to Jesus. And she actually set up a rehabilitation center in the Netherlands for concentration camp survivors. And then she became one of the most iconic evangelists of her time, where she preached the gospel in over 60 countries all over the world. 
She even went back to Germany, get this, to go speak to two German soldiers that were in her concentration camp, one of which was really mean to her sister and actually was made her sister's condition worse. And she went and forgave them for what they did. <laughs> and as she was preaching all over the world, one of her favorite quotes that she spoke about was this, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. I'll say that again. You can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. So we've all suffered losses at some point in our lives, and more will come. Loss of reputation, loss of relationships, loss of money saved, uh, loss of dreams, loss of plans, and loss of loved ones. And when these things happen, it feels like a part of us is dying. And sometimes that part is dead. But in that experience of suffering loss, Corrie ten Boom and the Apostle Paul discovered something. That those things, that suffering and that loss was a perfect opportunity to rediscover the gain they have in Christ. To draw closer to Him. And I'm going to read Jeremiah 29, not 10, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So often we read verse 10 and we forget about verse 12 and verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, Jesus wants to be found. He's like a little child playing hiding and seek. The person, the, the, the child that's hiding. And you go in the room and you're like, where are you? And you hear a little giggle. Where are you? And then you hear a little rustle behind the curtain. It's like a child wants to be found. <laughs> and you're like trying to teach him. That's not the point of the game. <laughs> but it's the same with Jesus. He wants to be found. He wants to be known. And he wants to be close to us. And he wants us to be close to him. But it's up to us to seek him with all our hearts. See, we're doing this journey together to discover or even rediscover our purposes in, in Christ. But I want to remember, I want us to remember this. It all starts with Jesus and it all ends with Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus is our purpose. He is the main purpose. All the other things help us along the way. But Jesus is our focus. He is our purpose. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you have chosen every single one of us to be here, to hear this word. I thank you, Lord, that this word has grabbed a hold of us. It's gone deep into our hearts, Lord. It will take roots and it will bear fruit, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that Jesus, you are our everything. You are our purpose. I pray, Lord, that our focus on the worldly things would slowly grow dim, like the song says, and that you will be our everything, that we will seek you with all, our, all of our hearts, that you will fill that hole in our hearts that nothing else can fill, Lord. And while our eyes are closed, I just want to give you the opportunity, if you've never asked Jesus to fill that hole in your heart, 
to become your Lord and your Savior, that you've realized today that you need Jesus, that you need Him to be close to you. You, know, you want to draw close to Him. You want to learn from Him. You want to know Him. I want you to just raise your hand. And if you feel like you've kind of grown a little bit cold, you haven't been drawing close to God, to Jesus, as much as you should have, feeling guilty, I want you to realize today that Jesus forgives. And when he forgives, he does not remember our sins. He receives us with open arms. Like the prodigal son, we can run into his arms. And he will embrace us, he'll forgive us, and he'll welcome us home. So if that's you, in your heart, just say to the Lord, Lord, I want, I want to come back home. I want you to be my purpose. I want to live a life of purpose with you at the center. Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, yeah, that we would spend as much time as we can with you, Lord, that we'll start our days with you, that we, you will we'll start our days, Lord, out of the completion of your finished work. And I thank you, Lord, that you will bless every single one of us as we do that. And I thank you, Lord, for this course. I pray, Lord, that we'll discover new purposes, new ways of spreading your gospel, new ways of reaching the nations, new ways of discipling people, Lord, advancing your kingdom. I pray, Lord, that we'll be blessed through this course and you'll, that more people will come, more people will be blessed, and that this church will go from strength to strength in Jesus' name. Bless us, keep us safe. Amen. Thanks, Alex. Please don't rush off.